Hey, I'm Steph. I'm Alex. And this is Not Today. Let's talk about Instacart. Instacart provides fast and contactless grocery delivery. Download the app or visit instacart.com and find your favorite retailers. Search and add items to your cart, and when you're ready to check out, select a delivery time that works for you. Then a personal shopper will gather your items in store with care, just as you would. You can even message your shopper along the way. And with Instacart's contactless delivery, your order will be safely left at your doorstep. Help support us and get 20% off your first Instacart order of $35 or more when you use the link in this episode's description to sign up and enter promo code 20PC. CT save at checkout. Offer ends March 28, 2021, while supplies last. Minimum order of $35 required. Max of $50 off. Terms apply. And action. <laughs> We're ready. We're ready. Wow. it's uh, It's been a stressful recording week. No. No. It's fine. <laughs> Everything's fine. Or it's uh, it's just late. We're definitely not Maybe. recording this the night before we upload. Hee <laughs> <laughs> I'm definitely not going this to is... stay up all night and edit. Hee <laughs> <laughs> We're so much more prepared. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's fine. It'll be, it'll be good. I'm excited to tell this story. But actually, before we jump in, I wanted to address the fact that I have uh, been informed that DWM does in fact mean divorced white male. I appreciate everyone who reached out and let me know, but at this point it's just funny because I'm getting so many, like, yeah. <laughs> so many messages of, do you know it meant divorced white male? I do now. I do now. Yeah, I did not. I did neither. I also do now yeah. know that. My mom so, found it hysterical. Really? She was like, what? It's just the generational oh divide. Ha ha ha. I thought you said BMW. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's exactly what I said. Um, yeah. But anyway, you have anything to address before we jump on in? No, I'm, I'm like curious what the story was because I was poking at it because you told me like not to judge Yeah. <laughs> or you said it was going to be hard not to judge. So yeah. is the audience going to have a hard time not yes, judging these people? For sure. And before we jump in, I did just want to give, you know, a quick trigger warning. This story does contain pedophilia and grooming and sexual abuse. So if that's not something you're comfortable listening to today, that is totally fine. Just come back next week. But it is a crazy story. So without further ado, let's get into it. Okay, so we are going to be talking about the Broberg family. Um, Broberg. Broberg. You're not joking. I'm not joking at all. That's, that's, that's a great name. Yes. Um, so... Uh, and a lot of my information that I found and, you know, what I researched the most was the Netflix uh, documentary called Abducted in Plain Sight, which is very good. I highly recommend you watch, but first listen to this episode, and uh, Vanity Fair. So that's my sources. Anyway, so we're talking about the Broberg frame. Beep, boop, beep, The Broberg family. So Marianne was a stay-at-home mom, and um, their father, Bob, Broberg was a florist. He owned a flower shop for 40 years. They were good parents. Um, their kids, you know, loved them. They, whatever, they were, it was the 70s. Um, what? They were, whatever. <laughs> you know, it's all the good. You know what we mean. Yeah, it's all the good things. Like, typical 70s family. 
you know can you yeah Yeah. can you picture it like there's orange everywhere there's you know whatever horrific wallpaper (laughs) it's actually very much coming back into style which is kind of funny but anyway i don't know didn't we get a comment that our gen z is showing i know some 70s stuff (laughs) that person (laughs) that specific person um no uh so So Marianne and Bob had three kids, um, Jan, Karen, and Susan. And Jan was the oldest, then Karen was the middle, and Susan was the baby. But this story's main character is Jan. So Jan was nine years old at the time. She was um, the oldest child, like I said. She was a firecracker, bright and lively, outgoing. She was, you know, the bossy big sister. But all the sisters were very close, and they had a good relationship for the most part. So they lived in Pocatello... Pocatello, oh my god, Pocatello, Idaho, um, the kind of place where you don't lock your doors, you could just trust everyone in the neighborhood, and like I said, it was like 1970s early, so, you know, just a nice little, nice little town. Very safe. Yeah, safe town, Uh, and then we come into our second main character of the story, unfortunately, Robert B. Birchtold. Okay, I'm guessing that this is the antagonist. Yes, so... (laughs) Marianne met Bob Birchtold in June of 1972. She was a chorister at their church and was leading the music um, one Sunday morning when she looked down and saw the family that she hadn't seen before. So the family had five children. Some uh, some of their ages were actually the same ages as their, as their daughters. So it was perfect. You know, they had, you know, a nice husband and wife and, you know, a lot of children, nice new family in town. So Bob, or no, not Bob. Bob is the father. Robert B. Birchtold, who we're going to refer to as either Birchtold or B for the most part of the story, was uh, very friendly. He was a, he had a wonderful personality. So they became very close friends very quickly. He was also in business um, like Bob was. So they clicked when they were talking and, you know, all was well. I know this story. You know this story? Yeah. Okay, well, let's keep it to ourselves and just <laughs> it'll be it'll be good. I'm sorry. It it dawned on me when you said Birchtold and I was like I've heard that. Yes. It's like, a well, oh, you and probably now I understand yes. why you're like don't judge these people. Well, and yeah. yes, it's going to be hard. Yes, but it's a, it's a good story. So okay. anyway, I'm <laughs> Okay, Cut that so out. No, I'm not. It's fine. Okay. So one of the uh, so one of the first things that Robert Birchtold did for the family was one morning after church, they came home to a beautiful fruit bowl with a card that said, "We sure enjoy your family, the Birchtolds." Um, this really impressed Bob and Marianne. Um, and at first, when Marianne saw Robert and his wife Gail, she thought it was a little off because Gail was so quiet and Robert was so outgoing. But she and Gail actually ended up becoming pretty close friends. So this arrangement was great. Everyone had a best friend. Both families became very close and and had some of their, quote, greatest family moments while they were together. Birchtold would pick up the kids in the morning and drive them all to school in his car. And as they were coming out to his car in the morning, they would all say, it's going to be a great day. So just very wholesome... (laughs) 70s family vibes going on. And after a while, the kids came up with the idea that they would call him B. So their families spent a lot of time together, like I said, but also B would come around a lot uh, without his family. So he was just there at the Broberg's... Oh, beep. Uh, beep. Anyway, <laughs> he was there at the Broberg's house 
a lot of the time just by himself. So he would come to their home pretty much every day and he would come over at night and talk to Marion and Bob and he would also play with the kids. Um, So, you know, from their perspective, from the kids' perspective, I mean, he was a really fun guy who would swing them around and sit and put a puzzle together. And at this point, he just seemed like a really cool dad. He was a good friend to Marianne and Bob, and the kids loved him, so he became a part of their family very quickly. Although, B would pay a lot of special attention to Jan specifically. Oh no. He even made up nicknames for her and would regularly call her Dolly. So he would take pictures of her, he would want to hang out with her by himself, like just not not something that a 40-year-old man and a like 10-year-old girl should be doing together, but that's where the story's headed. So, uh, you know, Marion and Bob did notice the special attention as well and said it slightly bothered them, but to Jan, she felt like she was he was a second father to her. She loved him and trusted him completely and felt like she was one of his kids. B said he felt a very strong connection to Jan and needed to be around her, which I say is a red flag. Yeah. It's a red flag. Yeah. And this, I mean, if you couldn't already tell, this is going in a very sinister direction as far as that goes. So he did everything he could to gain the trust of the family and isolate Jan as quickly as possible. And I just want to say, like, before we go further into the story, at this point, like, I I mean, in the 70s, the word pedophile wasn't even a thing that people were, like, widely knew. Like, the idea of an older person wanting to have sexual relations with a child, like, was not even a thing. And if it, I mean, it just was not talked about and not acknowledged and, like, it just wasn't a thing. So... Like we said in the beginning, like, it's really hard to not judge these people. But like, from their perspective, this would this was never a thing. Like, the idea of that being even something that was capable, like someone was capable of just wasn't in their in the realm of possibility in their heads. You know what I mean? Right? Yeah, it wasn't in their vocabulary. No, it really wasn't. And yeah, we'll get into that further later. But it really wasn't. So yeah, like I said, B did everything he could to gain the trust of the family and isolate Jan as quickly as possible. So Jan and her sister Susan shared a large room in the basement, and it was like, you know, a pretty big room. It was like most of the basement, I think. Um, And one day, Birchfield came up with the idea that they were both getting older and they deserved their own rooms. So he took it upon himself to literally build a wall in between Jan and Susan so they would have, you know, separate rooms and Jan would have the back room of the basement all to herself. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. And, you know, him building this wall gave him the excuse to be there and to further gain the trust of Bob and Marianne. And at the same time, he was literally separating Jan from her family. Yeah. But like disguise, like nobody would have thought in that time, probably that that was something weird, especially if, you know, you go to the same church. Yeah. You know, you've been friends all this time. Right. They've been friends. He's very charismatic. He's super friendly. He's a family man. He has kids of his own. He's got a wife. They're always together. Like, this is no, at this point, they like don't see this as weird, even though like it's easy for us to look back and be like, that's super fucking weird. Mm. To them, it's like, oh, how nice. Yeah, they are getting older. You know, they're like, they deserve their own rooms. Thank you, Birch told for doing that for us. 
But Birchtold was really bold about the steps he took to get closer to Jan. I mean, obviously the wall being one of them. But he relied so heavily on his charismatic personality, and for a lot of people, that's really all it took. Um, however, one of Birchtold's neighbors recalled a time that Birchtold took his his neighbor and his neighbor's wife on a boating trip, but he also brought along Jan for the trip, to, like just Jan. Wait, so it's Birchtold, two separate parents, adults, and Jan. Yes, and so, which apparently wasn't mm-hmm. weird, right? Which apparently <laughs> wasn't weird to the Broberg family, but the neighbor like was in this situation and he was like um that's really weird and that was the last time that his neighbor had anything to do with him because he was like yeah i don't want to be involved with anyone who's like having some weird relationship with a child so birchtold knew that he needed to break down the broberg family in order to isolate jan so in 1972, while he was at work, he would call Marianne pretty regularly and tell her that he didn't have a chance to make lunch and would ask her if she could make him a sandwich and bring it down to his work. So Marianne said, well, he was a new face in town and he possessed the charisma that Bob never had and he was, oh, you know, no. whatever. So it started with her just bringing him lunch on occasion. But then Birchtold started telling her that she had a beautiful body and her legs were amazing and basically telling her all these things she wanted to hear. And she also wasn't used to hearing and she liked that. So she was definitely attracted to Birchtold. So Marianne tried to ignore her feelings, but one weekend they went away on a church function to Logan, Utah. And Marianne said that they took a drive into the mountains and according to her, they started kissing and hugging and he touched her breasts, but that's all that happened. Um, she said they stayed there for a little longer than they should have and they got carried away, but there wasn't anything further than that. But when they returned home from the trip, they, they you know, tried to just return to their lives, but Marianne said she thought about him all the time. Uh-oh. <laughs> Uh-oh. This is weird. Yes. And it's going to get is, yeah, weirder. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> So he's going to try and cheat on her before. Ugh. So I'm gonna. So Bob recalled that Birchtold didn't have a very good sexual relationship with his wife, or, or just any relationship at all with his wife, and he knew that Birchtold was sexually frustrated. So one day he came into Bob's store, and he could tell that Birchtold was upset about something. Wait, what? Who? Bob. Oh, Bob. The okay. father father yeah, and Birchtold knew came into the that store. he was sexually sexually frustrated yes and Birchtold came into the, his his flower shop one day and Bob said he could tell that Birchtold was like frustrated or upset about something so Birchtold asked if Bob was free and if he could go for a ride so they drive out somewhere and Birchtold pulls the car over and tells Bob that he can't stand his wife and he needs to have sex so Bob said he could tell that Birchtold was sexually aroused and that when Birchtold uh, when Birchtold asked Bob if he could give him some relief, Bob at first was like, what? But, you know, they were laughing and he said, oh, Bob, it's just kid stuff. And so he relieved Birchtold, a.k.a. jerked him off. <laughs> <laughs> what? Yeah. So not only did, did Birchtold infiltrate Marianne, but uh... he also had Bob cheat on Marianne with him. So he's he he's messed up both both of them, and they both don't know. No, at this point, <laughs> oh my no. My God, 
this is getting more complicated as we go on. Yes, and it's going to continue to get more complicated. Wait, so, so is Bob bi? Well, I think that was his his one and only encounter with a man. But, but you know, but he, you know, he's experimenting. Who who cares? You know, it's just kid stuff. It's just kid stuff. What? How? I don't know how that's the line that he said. Because you know, kids are like curious and. You know, they experiment and whatever. Well, I'm assuming that this is not going to age well. <laughs> you would be correct. But anyway, we'll get back to that. So, Oh, my God. But I felt really bad. So, for... Yeah, I don't know. I, I just I still can't believe that he has now cheated with both of them mm-hmm. and then now is going to advance on Jan. Well, that's what he was using. Oh, he was trying to break down their marriage to get to Jan. Yeah, I know. All of this was for Jan, essentially, which is disgusting. But, <laughs> you know, I felt really bad for Bob in this moment because he was really broken up about this, that he betrayed his wife, like, when he was being interviewed. But, you know, at this point, everyone was completely under Birchtold's manipulation. He was a master manipulator. So this was the first time that Bob publicly disclosed that he had any type of sexual relationship with Birchtold, but he knew that it was important and relevant to the story. So that, you know, came out, which is brave on his part, you know, Mm. Um, because also I believe they're Mormon. So, right. And I'm assuming it came out in a time when this was not acceptable. You mean the documentary? No, just... Yeah, or whenever he came out publicly with this information. He came out publicly with it when they shot the documentary, which was not too long ago, probably. Oh. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, so now their families remained close for a bunch of different reasons, obviously, and uh, Birchtold knew exactly what he was doing. The Broberg girls and the Birchtolds would have sleepovers regularly, and one night they all slept out on the trampoline, B included. So it was all of the kids and B. Um, and Jan remembered waking up to her underwear around her ankles and B was laying next to her and he had his hands on her. Um, and he told her that she had been tossing and turning around and must have gotten uncomfortable, which ended up with her pulling down her underwear. And at this, Uh, yeah, uh. at this time, that seemed like the only plausible explanation to Jan because what was not plausible was that B would have done anything to harm her. Right. So in June of 1973, Jan went on a trip to Seattle with the Birchtold family. And at this point, Jan had already gone on a trip with them before, so this wasn't new. But one night at dinner, Jan started acting really strange and swaying back and forth. And she was just like really, she just didn't look well. And that's when Birchtold took it upon himself to carry Jan back to their room because something must have been wrong with her. Jan recalls waking up in the motel room and seeing Birchtold naked, but doesn't remember anything else. Oh my god. Yeah. He fucking drugged her. Yes. So something that was happening was Birchtold would give Jan a lot of vitamins, quote unquote, or allergy medication, but in reality he was giving her sleeping pills to molest her, obviously. And... This, Wait, and this was happening, like, so he, like, drugged her in front of her parents. Um, I don't know if it happened in front of her parents. This was on the trip to Seattle. So so Jan was with the Birchtold family in Seattle. Okay. But he would give her, you know, alle- uh, allergy medication or, you know, whatever, vitamins when they would hang out because they would hang out together, which is... Right. 
Weird. Weird. But did she actually have an allergy? No. They were okay. sleeping pills. I, I know, yeah. but I'm just saying, like, if she actually had one. Oh, I mean, I don't know. Maybe she did, but, I mean, she, he, he said that. You know, she's a little kid. She's going to just be right. like, okay, yeah, sure. Yeah, I don't know. I'm just... <laughs> I I want her to be free of the situation. Somebody be like, does she actually have allergies, Birch told, or what are we doing here? Yeah. But I... That didn't happen, that unfortunately, didn't happen. for Jan. Um, and this, you know, sleeping pills would happen pretty regularly. So oh. October 17th, 1974. B called the Broberg home earlier in the day and tells Marianne that he wants to take Jan out horseback riding in the in American Falls. So later that day, he pulls up to their home and says, okay, Jan, let's go. And Jan is extremely excited and is begging her mom to go. But her mother is like, well, it's a school night and you have piano lessons. But B comes back at that with, well, I'll just pick her up from her piano lessons tomorrow and we'll go straight from there. And her mother said, okay, but just have her home before dinner and before Bob gets home. So the next day, he picks her up from her piano lessons. And as they're driving, he says, oh, I have your allergy pills. You should take one before we go to the horses. And Jan said she must have passed out very quickly because she doesn't remember anything after that point. So later that evening at the Broberg household, or yeah, at the Broberg household, when Jan and B didn't return home, Marianne was getting nervous, but trying to rationalize. Maybe they broke down, you know? I mean, he's he's our family yeah, friend no like phones. yeah there's no cell phones maybe something happened like i'm sure there like there was no there were they were they just could not wrap their heads around that it was to harm jan you know they were like this right. he something must have happened so around 9 p.m that night birch told's wife gail came over because she was worried as well and marianne suggests that they call the police but gail convinces them not to and assures them that they'll be home any minute now so that was Thursday night, and now we go into Friday, and Marion and Bob still haven't called the police as to not upset Gail, to which I'm like, what do you mean? But, you know. <laughs> yeah, I could tell that what you really are saying is, fuck Gail. <laughs> no, <laughs> call the cops. <laughs> no, I mean, well, I mean, I'm not saying fuck Gail. I'm just saying, like, how, how do you not call the police for your missing child when you just don't want to upset Gail? Like, it's your child, but, you know, anyway. So after two days, Bob finally says to Marianne, two days, okay? two days that they have just been both gone. Yes. Nobody knows where they are. So two days. Does he have a job? He was a businessman. I don't know what what he did, but he was a Pocatello businessman. Okay. It just, it feels gross. Yes. A businessman has no reason to feel gross, but for him, it's just well, it's cause everything he's, about him. It's because he's gross. I know. Yes. So uh, two days into Jan being missing, Bob finally says to Marianne, we need to call the police and have someone help us find them. Right. So Saturday morning, Marianne calls the FBI, but their office was closed for the weekend. But a message said to call the, the Butte, Montana office if there was a, an emergency. But Marianne said she didn't follow through with that because she, quote, didn't want to get all these people worked up over nothing. So in her head, this is still nothing. You know, she she hasn't, she's completely in denial that her child was kidnapped, which she was. She was kidnapped, but she just could not wrap her head around that. So October 22nd, 
1974. This is day five of Jan missing. Um, the family finally reaches out to the FBI, their office in Pocatello, Idaho. And Pete Welsh was the lead FBI special agent on their case. He went to their home right away and talked to them for several hours. And they told him Birchhold was a Pocatello businessman, a member of their, uh, a member of their faith, a family man, and he had lots of friends. And they didn't suspect any foul play. Um, Marianne was convinced that he had just taken her somewhere, but Pete Welsh had to drill it into their minds that Birchtold did in fact kidnap their daughter. It had been five days. She's your daughter and she's gone. You know, like this man has your daughter that is kidnapped, you know? So, yeah. So Special Agent Welsh then went over to the Birchtold home and spoke to Gail. She told them that they had a motorhome in a storage unit, and so they went to that storage unit, and the motorhome was gone. Not long after that, Birchtold's car was found abandoned with the keys still in the ignition, the driver's side window had been broken out, and there was a small amount of blood on the door. Uh, what? (laughs) What? Like, through the windshield? No, the driver's side door had been broken out and was there was blood on the door. Did he crash it? No, it was parked on the side of the road with the keys in the ignition. Wow, okay. Mm-hmm. What? You Keep wanna, going? Yeah. Uh, what's the story there? <laughs> right, so... Uh, it's so strange. So the really weird part about this scene was that the window was broken from the inside going out. Right. Okay. From the driver's side. Right. So if someone had broken the windows to get to B and Jan, they'd have to break it from the outside in, obviously. So he left blood on the door to make it look like someone had kidnapped them together, like had taken them both. But they also found tire tracks from a motorhome and a set of footprints leading to the motorhome, which led them to believe that Birchold had carried Jan into the motorhome because it was only one set of footprints. So this became a nationwide search that went on for weeks. 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 In the first three weeks, neighbors came by the Broberg house to offer support. Everyone was shocked that Birchtold could have done something like this. Some people would reassure Marianne that they didn't believe that he would hurt Jan, and Marianne agreed. She wholeheartedly felt that Robert Birchtold wasn't hurting her daughter, even though this had been going on for weeks. And as Special Agent Welsh is taking to more and or taking uh, talking to more and more people who knew Birchtold, it comes out that Birchtold had a quote infatuation with young girls. Birchtold's brother said that he was always a sexual pervert and he liked little girls and even abused his younger sister. So Pete Welsh said this was the first pedophile case he had ever encountered at. Uh, and at first, he couldn't even comprehend it. He said the FBI called it stranger danger and never, ever used the word pedophile up until that point. So even the FBI didn't use the word pedophile. Isn't that crazy? Wow. Yeah. So this is like, did he, was he the first case that defined that term? I actually don't know, but, you know, Pete Welsh did say, like, we didn't, this was his first pedophile case. And, and at this point, he had been a, a special agent for seven years or something like that. So he's not like new. You know what I mean? Mm. 
So yeah, it came, it also came out that Birchtold tried to get two other little girls in Pocatello before their parents cut him off. And that's when he found Jan Broberg. So according to the FBI, in January of 1974, Birchtold was reprimanded by the uh, High Council of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints because of his involvement with another young girl. The LDS Church decided they would counsel him, so he went to a counselor in Idaho Falls. Uh, that man told investigators that he had also gone to California. So investigators found a clinical psychologist that was also trying to help him with his obsession with Jan. When he returned from California, Birch told, told Marianne and Bob that he was getting treated for the abuse he suffered as a child. He told Bob that when he was four years old, he was sexually abused by an aunt. And that's when he asked Bob if it would be okay if he spent some time alone with his daughters as a part of his treatment. He said, you can call the doctor and ask him to explain it to you if you want. But Bob said that he trusted Birchtold. What? Yeah. Please recap. So. Please re <laughs> So what the, f did he, has he been caught? So this is before the abduction of Jan. He would, this is, I'm sorry oh, if that was unclear. Okay. Yeah. So. Okay. So we're, we're, we're tracking him. We're tracking his history to lead a little bit to yeah. where he is now. Yes. So uh, he said that part of his treatment was to spend alone time with the Broberg's daughters for some reason. And when he was like, you can call my doctor and ask why that is. They were like, we trust you. Oh my God. Yes. So that's how deep it is. Yeah. Oh fuck. I'm calling. I'm not even you. Oh, okay. What? It's like, I'm not even calling the doctor. Like, yeah, because he was that much of a, like he, he manipulated the shit out of everyone. Oh my God. Yeah. So after but, Jan, oh, what? What possible treatment has ever existed where you spend time alone with children? That, yeah, that's a, that is the question, but it was the seventies, you oh. know? Yeah, I guess I, I know. So after Jan would go to bed, he would lay down with her and he'd have these really weird cassette tapes and he'd listen to them while he was laying there with her. And Marianne said neither of them were comfortable with it, but it was part of his therapy and they trusted him. So investigators later discovered that this clinical psychologist wasn't licensed um, because he had his license revoked at another time. So he was, I think it actually was from that you know, doctor that he was like, oh, go lay with these children and that'll help you with your obsession because you'll be able to control your urges, blah, blah, blah. But like, he wasn't licensed. So this wasn't like actual medical, medical advice. advice. Right. Okay. Yeah. I actually like <laughs> am disgusted by it, obviously, mm -hmm. but I think it makes sense because I've heard of it makes some shred of sense because I've heard of like if you people who have like intense impulsive thoughts about like murdering people. Yeah. But like actually would never do that. Yeah. Part of their therapy mm -hmm. is to like be exposed. Take an, yeah, exposure therapy. Mm -hmm. So like you take a knife and you hold it next to somebody's neck because you're having that thought and then Yeah, that was on Invisibilia. That was a really good episode. Yeah. Um but yeah, yeah, I it doesn't I, work for pedophilia. Right. Probably. Yeah, like that is a very that's a real thing, but in this case that's not 
not a doctor. Not a doctor. Not an actual doctor. He's not a doctor. So, yeah, it was just, you know, deeply fucked up. And Bob said he had no idea that Birchtold had any, quote, sexual designs on Jan. He said at the time he didn't even know that what a child molester was. He said, looking back on it now, he can't believe how gullible they were. Um, and, you know, looking back on all the red flags. But at that time, they really didn't see any red flags, which right. is crazy. I mean, the, the FBI didn't even know. I, I mean, so. yeah, that's that's how deep it goes. So according to court transcripts, Robert Birchtold slept in Jan's bed approximately four times a week for six months. And wow. right up until the day she was taken. So, like, this was a regular occurrence. Oh, my God. Yeah. So now we're going to get into October 17th, 1974 from Jan's perspective. So we're going to hear about what actually happened. So she said she woke up and felt like she was moving, but she was laying on a bed because she was in a motorhome. So her wrists and ankles had straps around them and she couldn't move. She uh, And as she was laying there, this monotone, semi-robotic voice was talking in her ear through a little white intercom-looking box next to her head. And I'm, I'm unsure if this is exactly what it said, but this is the general idea. So it said, female companion, it is time for your mission to begin. And she had immediately thought that she was kidnapped by a UFO. She said she kept going in and out of really deep sleep, but the next time she had woken up, the restraints were off of her but now the box was saying female companion we are called zeta and zethra and these aliens informed her that she was actually part alien her mother was her biological mother and her father wasn't her biological father um, and she had a father from this alien planet she said this was what she learned in church you know jesus's father cared for jesus but his actual father was god so this wasn't so crazy to her you know because she was a a little girl who was raised in a religious household you know so this voice kept telling her that she had an important mission to complete and she needed to have a child that would save the alien planet by the time she turned 16 and Uh If she was unable to perform, Zeta and Zethra had a backup plan. They would use her sister, Susan. So she was also half alien, and if Jan couldn't do it, she would be taken. So not only is it like, hey, you have to do this, but hey, if you don't, we're going to take your sister. Ugh. I want to puke my stomach out. Yes. At this... Oh, my God. That's just so beyond fucked up like because you're gonna threaten her younger sister too they threaten more than her younger sister but yes i know but like yeah i don't know on top of it all it's just disgusting oh i know yeah so the voice said she would now meet her male companion and so she got up and on the little couch of the motorhome was b She said this was a relief to her because this was a person she loved and trusted, and now she wasn't alone anymore. He was covered in blood, he was cut, and he was laying on the couch not moving with his eyes closed, and to Jan, he looked dead. So she begins shaking him violently and tries to wake him up, and she's crying and begging him to wake up, and miraculously, he wakes up. 
and he starts to tell her what happened. He said they were driving out to go horseback riding and he had seen this bright white light and the, the car started to vibrate and move. So he said they must have been taken by the powerful light. And Jan said she knew that he was the male companion and that together they were supposed to have a child. She said the idea of him being 40 year old man and her being a her being 12 was very strange, but now she felt like, well, I'm an alien. I'm strange. I'm not normal. You know? So it made it, she justified it in her head. She's like, well, this is what, what has to happen, you know? And she said the combination of being isolated and being completely afraid made her believe everything that was happening. And she said for the first few weeks, she had no concept of how much time had gone by. She believed that she was drugged a lot of the time, but she does remember him specifically going through the cupboards of the motorhome and inside one of them was three or four books about sex. And after he pulled out those magazines or whatever, the box, the little alien voice box said to her, we think it's time for you to ask the male companion to do what makes people happy, which is disgusting. Um, uh. So I think we know what happens next, and I'm not going to go into detail because I just don't feel the need. But Jan said there was a small fan open on the top of the motorhome that she could look out of, and there was a tree over it, and she would just look at the leaves to help her get through. Yuck. So November 20th, 1974. This is day 35 of her missing. Birchtold calls his brother, his brother Joe, and tells him that he wants Joe to call Marianne and get written permission for Jan and him to come back to the United States and get married. He said they were in they were married in Mexico, but it wasn't legal in the United States. And under Mexican law at the time, you could be married at 12 years old. There was a law that passed that made it 18, like, you know, years later, I suppose. But I, that's crazy. <laughs> a 12-year-old? Yeah. Oh my God. So Joe called Marianne and Bob and he said, you have to give them written permission to get married in the United States or they're not coming back. And they said, absolutely not. What the fuck? Because they're like, what? Uh, what? <laughs> like, what do you mean? Yeah, so, no. and that's when Joe took it upon himself to try and get Birchtold found. So on their next call, he had the FBI tap the phone. And Birchtold called, and he told Joe that he was in Mazdalan, Mexico. And the FBI was able to trace the call to a hotel in Mazdalan. So the Mexican police were notified, and they found the motorhome. And all of a sudden, they kicked in the door, and they put them in the car. And Jan said she remembers seeing his eyes in the rearview mirror looking at her like he was scared. And they took them to this Mexican prison. And after a little while... A guard took Jan down this dark, dank, water-smelling basement to B's cell where he was being held because he had given the guard his gold ring in exchange for some time to talk to Jan. And he told Jan to tell her family that he brought her on a vacation and that he made a mistake by taking her too far away and not telling her family. He also told her that he was visited by Zeta and Zethra, and there were four things that she can't talk about. He said she couldn't talk about them, meaning Zeta and Zethra, or the alien planet. She couldn't talk about the relaxing pills, or the mission, 
which meant that she couldn't talk about any of their sexual experiences. And he told her she will have no other contact with any other man, even her dad. And if she talked about any of those things, her sister Karen would go blind and they would remove, quote, her father, which she knew meant was they would kill him. And of course, the other threat was them taking Susan if she didn't complete this mission. So now she thinks her sister Karen will go blind. She thinks her dad will die and she thinks Susan will be abducted too. So she is terrified, you know? Right. And she fully believed. they just hadn't have let him talk to her. I know. She fully believed all of this, all of it. She was 12, you know? I know. So he told her that her parents will come to pick her up, but she can't tell anyone about any of those things or she'll be vaporized. (laughs) So all of those things, plus you will also be vaporized, which meant that they'll not only take her life, but they'll also take her spirit. And to her, she's this young girl who was very religious and had a faith in life after death. So this idea of them taking her soul was equally as terrifying. You know, she's like, what do you mean? What do you mean? So that's, (laughs) this is crazy for her, you know? Um, I can't even imagine how scared she was. Yeah, I know. Yep. So Marianne and Bob made it down to Mexico and they were finally reunited with Jan. And Jan immediately broke down and was very concerned about B. Marianne told her that the FBI was going to take care of him, which made Jan freak out. And she was like, why did you call the FBI? Nothing happened. We were just on vacation. We have to take him with us. But Marianne was like, no, Jan, we're going home. And Bob immediately said he knew Jan was different. Even on the plane ride home, she wouldn't sit by him which was devastating to Bob because he knew their problems weren't over. And after getting home, the Brobergs sent the marriage certificate back to Mexico to have the marriage annulled because they did actually get married in Mexico, which is insane. And Birchtold was brought back to the U.S. where he appeared before a grand jury and they indicted him for kidnapping charges. Marianne and Bob had Jan examined by a physician, and the physician told them that she had not had her hymen broken. So they saw no trauma of sexual abuse, and the parents were relieved, which is not true. But I know, but what? They didn't find anything. Yeah. I don't know if That's I should, insane. like... That's insane. Yeah. That's insane. Yeah. And well, she's he, not, now she's not going to tell him, because well, she thinks, like, literally her spirit and her are going to be vaporized right along with all the other shit that she was threatened with right so the so you know to the parents there's no sign of anything happening and she's not telling them anything so they're like they're just like what happened you know and jan wouldn't really talk about what happened like i said she just told her family she went parasailing and some other things she had done but she became really standoffish especially toward her father Her thoughts were constantly about B. She just wanted to get him back so that they could complete the mission. She completely separated herself emotionally and mentally from her family because she knew she hadn't completed this mission. And Detective Welsh told Bob and Marianne not to talk to Gail or Bob Birchtold from that point on. But on Christmas Eve, Gail comes over and asks to speak to Bob alone. So she told him that they wanted the Brobergs to drop the charges against Birchtold. 
She asked them to sign some affidavits, and if they don't sign, they were going to expose the dirty laundry between the Brobergs and Birchtold. So both of them, you know, both of them having an affair with Birchtold. And they were like, we can't have that get out. So they signed. It said, so one, so a, two, <sighs> okay. two, two quotes. Okay. Yeah. I'm holding it in. Hold it in. So two quotes from the affidavit was, my daughter was not taken by force or against her will, nor was she held or confined against her will at any time while in in the company of the defendant. And it said, I honestly believe there is a strong possibility that the defendant was under the impression he had my husband's and my consent to take my daughter with him when he left in October. And they signed this document. And people were really upset. That really? They did that. Yeah. Yes, really. I know it's hard to believe because they were covering themselves and they weren't thinking of Jan. You know, that was completely self-serving at that point. And the U.S. federal, federal attorney called them and was absolutely livid because he told them they were going to have, they were, he told them they're still going to have a trial. And he actually overruled the motion for the dismissal of the kidnap charges against him. But it didn't really matter because At this point, they don't have any witnesses against him because the witnesses were the Broberg family and they signed the affidavit. So they can't, they're not going to, you know, go on the stand against him. So it threw their entire case. Oh, fuck. I'm just thinking, like, did any of the neighbors see what was going on? No. Like, the people at their church had (laughs) to know that they were missing for 35 days. Mm -hmm. But it said... The affidavit said, you know, she didn't, she wasn't held by her, by, you know, force. And I was under the impression that the parents were, were okay with me doing this. Yep. Yeah. Just breathe. So the trial was postponed and he was released on his own cognizance. That's the word that I copy and pasted. <laughs> but so yeah, he was, the trial was postponed and he was released which is what the point is. And after this, Birchtold moved to Ogden, Utah to work at his brother's car dealership. Gail stayed behind, so he was still very much in their community. He was home every weekend and they saw him at church and he was around town and he was still there, you know? And the next time Jan saw him was at night in her back bedroom. The little white box with the alien voices woke her up and Birchtold appeared in her bedroom. And he said the mission would continue and they were making plans for them to be together. So she just had to keep doing what she was doing and not tell anyone anything. He was even able to contact her while she was in school. He would give notes to kids to deliver to her. And these notes would tell her to meet him at a specific location at a certain time. So she would get love letters from him and she would write them back. You know, she, at this point, she felt this love, you know, she is as manipulated as a person can be. And she's 12 years old and she loves him, you know, and this love that she once felt for him, you know, being a father figure had now shifted to loving him like a husband. And she said the love she felt was profound. So here's a letter from B to Jan when she's 13 years old. It says, Hi, darling. I awake this morning thinking of you as usual and loving you even more. I remember you and Oliver and the night you cried when you sang Where is Love, especially for me. 
Remember the song from Oliver, As Long As He Needs Me, and the meaning it had in the play? Please, honey, sing it over and over, and know I need your love more now than anything on this earth. Evil forces would love nothing more than to destroy us and ruin everything. I can do no more than love you every minute of my life. The rest is up to you. Be brave, do everything right, and don't give up hope. I never will, because through it all, there is you. Forever. B. The, uh, for the past three minutes, my mouth has been just wide open. Yes. Yep. Yeah. I, I don't know what to say about that. I know. It's 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 crazy. I, I thought it couldn't get worse. It gets worse. No. <laughs> it gets worse. Uh, so in spring of 1975, he had been calling Marianne every day, and he was begging her to come be with him and that he loved her. She would just ask him why he married Jan. Why did you marry Jan? Birch told. And he said, if you come speak with me personally, I will tell you everything. So she went to his motorhome one day after work, and he kept telling her he loved her and she should get divorced and come live with him. And he poured his heart out, according to Marianne. And it wasn't long after that he was holding her hand and they were very close. And this turned into kissing and eventually sex. What? Yes. No. Yep. No. Yeah. The man. Yeah. Who kidnapped your child. Correct. You're now having sex with him. Mm-hmm. And this is the part where I'm supposed to not judge that behavior. No, no. I'm not going to say you shouldn't judge that behavior. You can judge it. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Okay. Okay. Sure. So four or five days after that... Birch told, called Bob and told him what had happened. The what? The balls. I'm sorry. I'm The deep. balls on I don't, this man. I don't mean to laugh. That's just. The it's... balls on this man. Oh, yeah. The absolute. No, it's just uncomfortable laughter from here on out. Yes. And this entire episode, really. Yes. But like, continue. This is, you. yeah, it did get worse. It got worse. Oh. Very precipitously. It precipitously. You like that? I, I got words. That. You got words to this week. Okay, okay. go back to this um. Yeah, no, terrible but story. It gets worse. It gets worse. It gets worse. Yes. What? How? How could it get worse? We are like, I don't know. Maybe halfway. We're halfway. Yes. I'm sorry. We no. got to keep going. We, this okay. is going up for. This is gonna be a long story. So. Four or five days after that, Birch told, called Bob and told him what happened, which put their marriage in a really rocky place. <laughs> you don't say. I'm sorry. You don't say. Oh, God. So after the, so the affair that Birch told had with Marianne lasted eight months. She said at the time she was in love with him. And Bob said he knew that it wasn't about Marianne and that he was doing this to be closer to Jan. But Birch told was able to visit Jan on many occasions. Twice they even spent the night together alone. I don't know how that makes sense, but oh my god, how how d- on this green earth is this story real? I I don't know. So so she's had an eight month affair with Birchtold. Yes, and Bob didn't know. No, he knew, and was like he was upset. I will let. No, he didn't want it to happen. So let's. I'm gonna keep going. So Bob said. He had spoken to their bishop and came to the conclusion that he should file for divorce. So she received the subpoena to leave the home because she was endangering their children. So Bob took the girls on the day she, he, uh, he knew Marianne would be receiving those papers, and he took them to a restaurant out of town and told the girls that he and their mother would be separating. 
and Birchtold called Marianne and told her that he would find her an apartment for her and the kids, you know, could come with her and they would have a whole new life. And she told him that she wasn't leaving her husband. So she went to an attorney who advised her to cut out the cancer, meaning Birchtold, which I just find funny that she had to go to an attorney to to hear that. <laughs> like, yeah, you had to go to an attorney to be like, hey, Marianne, maybe you should <laughs> cut out... Birch told, like, why did she need to go to an attorney for that? I don't know. Anyway, so she went home to Bob and told him that she and the girls need him and she would cut Birchold out of her life. And for Bob, that was enough, which is good. I mean, they, they're married and they're whatever. So anyway, in June of 1976, 20 months after the kidnapping, Birchtold agreed to a plea deal because his trial was postponed. So the judge sentenced him to five years but it was somehow reduced to only 45 days. And it gets worse. Uh, so Birchold had moved away from Pocatello and had used, or and had purchased a family fun center in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. So he was, he had to go to jail for 45 days, but he didn't have to do that for like three months or something. So he was gonna have to report to jail in like three months. So he has this grace period before he goes to jail, okay? Okay. So this is when he, purchases this family fun center in Jackson Hole and Jan wanted to go work there for the summer right so she begged oh. and begged and cried and screamed but they told her no and Jan at this point was not doing well obviously she was angry she would pick fights with her sisters she would pick on her parents she just made life miserable because she was miserable and this is when Birch told called up the Brobergs and said that Jan was coming to Jackson Hole and if they didn't let her, she was going to start hitchhiking. And eventually, Marianne put her on an airplane to Jackson Hole. Question mark. Exclamation Qu question. point. What? Jan was there for two whole weeks. Two weeks. Oh my god, this poor girl has been abused for multiple years now. Yeah. And you're... Yes. And she's on a plane. Yes. So B had told Jan that he and Gail were getting a divorce, so now they could get married. And Jan was still feeling like she was utterly in love with B, and they needed to finish the mission. And B put her back on a plane to Salt Lake after the two weeks, and Marianne picked her up. But when she got back home, it was like she had taken on an entirely different personality. She was just very angry at this point, but you know, she was in a panic because she truly believed that she was supposed to save the planet. She literally had the weight of the whole world on her shoulders as a 13-year-old. And meanwhile, Birchtold is still calling Marianne and telling her that he'll steal Jan away again if they don't allow her to come with him. And she told him to stay out of her and her family's lives. Yes. Which he didn't like. And it led to August 10th, 1976. She had only been home for a few weeks when one morning when getting the girls up for breakfast, Jan didn't come upstairs. So they went down into her bedroom and found a note that said, Dear Bob and Marianne, you won't let me do what's right, so I will do what's wrong. I am leaving without, uh, I'm leaving without B and do not plan on coming back until you accept me as me. I cannot accept your religious or your religion or your screwed up morals. I just want to be me and have be. Please, before all of us are destroyed, let me go. Jan. 
which is heavy because that literally means before all of us are destroyed, AKA killed because I can't be with B. Right. Yeah. So. Wow. The next. And they have no idea that that's what she. No. Thinks. Absolutely not. And the next day B calls their house and tells them that Jan had called him and told him that she ran away, but he wouldn't, she wouldn't tell him where she was. So he was nervous and wanted to let them know. And two or three days had gone by and they were worried sick, but telling people that she was just with her grandmother because they didn't want it getting out that she had been kidnapped again. And they even waited two weeks before calling Detective Welsh. How does that make sense? Um, How does that make sense? What is Detective Welsh's response to this oh he's he's pissed he's like what what he he thinks they're crazy he's like what do you what what do you mean yeah like because he said he's like i literally told them to never talk to them again and here they are very much so wrapped up in this entire thing still she had an eight month affair Mm -hmm. after that yes so welsh talked to birch told who was apparently broken hearted that jan had disappeared And on September 1st, Jan had been missing for three weeks at this point, Birchtold began his jail sentence. But now, he only spent 10 days in jail because he got out for good behavior. Like, why did you even send him to jail at that that point? I don't understand how that happens. How do you get out on good behavior after 10 days? You haven't even been there long enough to show you have had good behavior. Yeah. Like, what? 10 days? His sentence was 45 to begin with. That's stupid, first of all. And second of all, he gets out after 10? How does that make sense? Anyway, he then moved... Yeah, that's a joke. It's it's a joke. Like, you shouldn't... Like, at that point, like, why did you even send him to jail in the first place? Like, are you serious at all about the jail thing? Right. It's It's fully a joke. So he then... It's not a joke, but I mean, it, it was stupid. His anyway, sentence was a joke. Yes. So he then moved to Salt Lake City and lived in his motor home. So now they don't know where he really is either. They're just, they're like, we don't, we don't have his exact location. So I mean, he was on good behavior. Right. So he would call Marianne regularly and cry. And Pete Welsh told Marianne to just keep talk uh, to just keep talking and taking his phone calls. And the FBI had installed tape recorders on the Broberg's home phone to like, you know, obviously listen in and hear if he said anything about Jan. But this had continued for about three months, okay? Three months. He would call them and tell them he had just spoken to Jan and she told him that he was prostituting herself or he would tell them that Jan is, Jan still wanted to marry him. And when Marianne asked if he wanted to marry her, he was like, oh yes, I've always loved her and I always will. There's nobody for me but Jan, which is crazy. So, November 1976, approximately 90 days into Jan's second disappearance, the FBI was finally able to locate his motorhome in Salt Lake City and put surveillance on him 24-7. So, two or three weeks into it, an agent knocked on the door and B let him inside. He asked Birchtold if he knew where Jan was, but of course, he said no, and he, but they knew he knew where she was. Um, he had large poster-sized pictures of Jan in his motorhome. And on one afternoon, Jan called home and everyone's freaking out and they're begging her to come home. And she's like, I just wanted to say, I love you guys. Like I'm doing well. 
like, I'll see you soon. Love you. And they're like, Jan, please come home. Please come home. And she's like, I just love you guys. Bye. And she hangs up. Oh, I can't even imagine getting that call. Yes. So November 11th, 1976, day 102 of her second disappearance. The surveillance is still happening and they see B go to a phone booth that was on and he was on the phone for about 10 to 12 minutes. And when he walked away from the phone booth, he left the phone book open and there was a number that was written in it. And they traced the number to a Catholic girls school in Pasadena, California. And so they called and figured out that Jan was there under an alias Janice Tobler. So that night, so the night she had gone missing from her bedroom, B was there outside of her window to help her out. And they drove to California where he enrolled her into an all-girls Catholic school. He told the nuns that she was his daughter and that he was a CIA agent. And they had escaped from Lebanon where her mother had been killed. So he would be there on the weekends, but they should take good care of her when he's not there. He told the nuns that he was in the CIA because he said if anyone came looking for Jan, those were the bad guys, and she needed to be protected at all costs. Whoa. This man is crazy. Like, the level of planning that he has taken to, like, secure this situation is insane. Yeah. So the next day... Birchtold was arrested and taken to jail, and Jan was forced on a plane home. When she walked into the house for the first time, she walked directly downstairs and went into her back bedroom. She was just removed at that point. And, I mean, her innocence had been completely taken from her. So she's... Yeah, I mean, just... Yeah, so she was even more removed from her family, but especially her father. Bob described her as hollow and emotionally gone. So January 24th, 1977, Jan had been home for 38 days. They received a call that Bob's store was on fire, okay? And this was really emotional for Jan because she thought that the store burnt down because of something she did. She was only 14 at this point, but Bob knew that Birchtold was behind it. He had threatened to kill Bob before when he was talking over the phone with Marianne, so this wasn't super out of, you know, the blue. And investigators found out that Birchtold had told two men that he would give them a thousand dollars a month if he burned down, if they burned down Bob's florist shop. And they were convicted and sent to prison, but they couldn't actually pin it on Birchtold for some reason. Uh, was it maybe all? They didn't have any like proof that that communication happened. I'm not sure exactly why they couldn't pin it on him, but they couldn't. So. He was charged with first-degree kidnapping, impersonation of a CIA agent, and arson, but he got out of all of it. He was acquitted of first-degree kidnapping by reason of mental defect. Excuse me? Yes. If the Brobergs were able to testify against him the first time around, he could have been put away for 20 to life at least, but Birchtold was court-ordered into a mental facility in June of 1977, and was released after six months. Six months. Okay? You good? No. 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 We'll never be good again. Nope. Yeah. I'm just going to keep going. So. Yeah. I, I'm sorry. No, no. Go ahead. Mental defect. Mm-hmm. So, like, is this equivalent to a plea of insanity? Yeah. And then 
He is released. Mm -hmm. He is rehabbed. Mm -hmm. Yep. He but, worked with a professional to work out his obsession with Jan, but after six months, he was released. Yeah, the same professional that told him to go lay by her? <laughs> Not the same one, but, I mean, honestly, like, oh at that point, God. six months, really? Okay, so I understand that pedophile isn't even really in the vocabulary at this point, but at this point, maybe more than six months? That, yeah, yep. That's, yeah. That would be nice. I'll leave it there. Yeah, so June of 1978... 18 months after Jan returned home. She still had some communication with him, but not as much because she was about to turn 16 and he wasn't interested in her as much because she was, she was getting older. Um, huh? Jan wanted to go Older. To, yeah. Older. Older. 16. Almost. Almost 16. So 15. She, he wasn't as interested. So how old was she when she came back from the Catholic school? 14. 14. 14. Wow. Mm -hmm. I can't believe that. Yeah. So so Jan was almost 16 at this point, but she wanted to go to this five-week-long summer theater camp at Brigham Young University. And her parents hesitated to let her go, but then decided she should be able to live her life and have some friends. So they let her go. And there was this boy in the play that she was in, and he liked her. And one day he bought her ice cream, and Jan immediately went back to her dorm room and started freaking out that something bad was going to happen. And that afternoon, her mom called her and said that her dogs weren't feeling well because she must have fed them something bad. So, oh my God, just like... Which is just a freak accident. Like, I know, but like the absolute worst yeah. timing yes. for a freak accident. Yeah. So Jan freaks out and is like, I need to come home. Uh, but the next day, her mother calls her and tells her that the dogs are doing fine. So in Jan's head, she has like a three-second thought where she's like, okay, the dogs are fine. Susan's still home. Karen's not blind. Dad's not dead. Are these aliens real? But then the next thought that pops into her head is, I'm just kidding. I know you're real. So she had a quick moment where she was like, maybe, but then she was like even terrified to even think that. So she's but like, like, the cracks in the dam are forming. Yes. So her 16th birthday was right around the corner and Jan is in a panic because she isn't pregnant. So she comes up with this idea that if she's not pregnant before then, she'll get a gun and tell Susan about the mission. And if she doesn't want to do it, she'll kill Susan and she'll kill herself. Because, you know, the mission was to become pregnant before 16. So Right. Oh so, my God. Mm-hmm. So her birthday was July 31st. And she woke up that day and everything was normal. Everything was okay. And everyone was alive. And she realized that the aliens weren't real. And she knew that she probably needed to tell somebody about this, but she didn't know who or when or how to even talk about it. So she finally told her best friend Caroline and her sister Karen, to which Karen was like, uh, you got to tell mom and dad. <laughs> like, yeah. You got to tell them. Uh, and she finally did. It was a very emotional experience, but they finally understood what happened. So 28 years later, Jan became a motivational speaker. She wanted to end the cycle of shame and abuse. And Marianne actually ended up writing a book called Stolen Innocence that was published in 2003. So Marianne and Jan started having these long interview-like talks. Uh, and that's when Marianne started writing. So she began writing in the 90s and finished it in 2003. And they would go and speak at different events. And 
Birchtold would try to come to these events because remember, he's not in prison. He's not in a mental, a mental institution. He's okay. free. Yeah. Let me ask about that. Yeah. So she tells her parents and then now we're just skipping ahead to when she's a motivational speaker. Yes. Like, can he not be charged on like charges of sexual assault at this point? No. Like I know that he's been, they've signed the affidavit. Mm-hmm but they didn't sign an affidavit for her to be abused for multiple years on end. Right, but his second trial for kidnapping charges, he was found innocent by mental defect. So they worked, they quote, worked through, you know, his obsession with Jan. So he can't be charged for separate crimes? I, I, I mean, he wasn't. That is fucking insane to me yes so yeah so we're we're, we're jumping forward a little okay. bit but, but the story still continues this is not like you know the where are they now quite yet okay so uh they would go speak at different events and birch told would try to come to these events he began threatening them and talking to the news about how the book was fake and nothing was true and he said that he would make their lives miserable as long as they continued promoting the book and at that point, he was showing up at a bunch of events. He was threatening them, whatever. So Jan had filed a stalking injunction. And she hadn't seen him in 30 years, but she had to go face him in court. And she said the first five minutes, she was shaking like a leaf. But, you know, he sat there in front of the courtroom and told her to her face that it was quite a story. And she was using it to sell a lot of books. And she basically was like, the fact that you can look me in the eye and lie like this is insane. You have no soul. And she said that she was doing this to, quote, educate the public about predators like you. And she was granted the injunction for the rest of his life. Like, usually when you get, like, a restraining order or whatever, it's, like, for, like, three years or something. But they granted it for the rest of his life. Yeah, thankfully. Which is a finally a little bit of a win, you know? Yeah, little. Yeah, the teeniest little win. So... Jan continued to speak at events and even had a biker gang security force. Really? <laughs> yes. They're called <laughs> Baca, which is Bikers Against Child Abuse, which is so okay. cool. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm like, what? Wow. I yeah. would have never thought that would be a biker gang, but... Me neither. I support the cause. I support them. So, yeah. So, they protected her from Birchtold, and when he showed up at an event that she was at... They jumped on the hood of his car and they held onto the windshield wipers as he tried to get away. Because So they see him, they're like, that's Birchtold, get him! And they jump on his windshield and they're holding onto the wipers and he sped up really fast and then stopped suddenly and the guy, the guy who was on the windshield flew off and hurt himself. And when the cops arrived, they discovered that Birchtold had a gun in the car and was arrested and charged with three felonies and two misdemeanors. Please tell me he spends more than 10 fucking days in jail. So the court... You just gave me a face. Yeah, so the court Uh, told him that he needed to come back the next day for sentencing. But he said he'd rather die than go to prison. So he took all of his heart medication and washed it down with a bottle of Kahlua and milk and died. That's how it ends. Well, that's how he ends. That's how he ends, obviously. Which sucks. I, I mean, at him. the very least, he won't do this to any other. Any other I mean, girls, at that point, he was yeah, I know. old. I know, but 
Uh, it's not like he stopped, I'm sure, no. during those 30 years that he wasn't in contact with That's Jan. True. That's true. I mean, I kind of wish he could have gone to prison and gotten the the, the pedophile treatment, you know? Yeah. You know how I mean, we how all they, do. They go to jail we and all they do. get a little yeah. rough up. Justices yeah. served. Yeah. So he died. Killed himself. And coward. Coward. So since his death, Jan has had six women contact her to tell her that they were sexually assaulted and abused by Birchtold. He was actually found guilty in a case of rape of a child for one of those girls before Jan, but only spent one year in jail. So even if he he was found guilty of the worst thing in the world, he only spent one year in jail. Wow. Yeah. This is a judicial failure. Yes. Through and through. Yeah, for sure. Yes. So Jan said she hasn't necessarily forgiven him, but she's able to live her life in a way that her trauma doesn't dictate her life. And she said 90% of her life is amazing and wonderful and 10% is not. And she chooses to live in the 90%. Um, Yeah. She said the way she was able to forgive her parents was through helping them forgive themselves. You know, they made mistakes, but she fully believed that that was because Birchtold was manipulating them to the highest degree. He was, like we said earlier, a master manipulator. So after her trauma, Jan went on to get married and have a son and get divorced. But Jan's relationship with Birchtold, understandably, had lasting effects on her adult life. She said it had a huge impact on her relationship with men. When the filmmaker of Abducted in Plain Sight spoke to Jan about it, she said that she still looks at her relationships, you know, under a microscope and kind of compares them to her, like the love she felt for Birchtold, which is really hard for her, obviously. Right. Um, and that she hasn't felt as in love with any of the men that she's been in relationship with as the kind of love that she felt with Birchtold. Oh my God. Yeah. Which speaks huge volumes to how impressionable children are, you know, 12 year old kids, especially, you know, and to this day, Jan struggles with how to love and how to not associate that love with the love she felt for Birchtold when she was 12 and 13 years old. But Jan is now a working actress who has appeared on over 30 episodes of WB series Everwood. She has gone to have Uh, a a successful acting career appearing in more than 45 films and television projects according to her imdb page and she started running a theater company in utah Um, wow yeah that's amazing super amazing yeah and it was hard for jan and her siblings to see their parents criticized in response to the documentary but after the film premiered jan's father bob approached the filmmaker with genuine appreciation The filmmaker said, Bob said that he was just so grateful that we had told their story in such a sensitive way, which was shocking to the filmmaker. But she said, I think uh, speaks more to the Broberg's capacity for truth and forgiveness and just wanting to get that story out there. Bob and Marianne stayed married until Bob's death in 2018. Wow. Yep. And in the internet age, especially, Borgman and the Brobergs wanted to make audiences aware of how people can enter our lives and we need to protect our children a little bit more. Jan and her sisters have all been advocates for getting the word out there that it can happen to somebody close to you by somebody you know. Don't trust everybody. Don't trust anybody almost. (laughs) Right. 
Yeah, because almost, I don't know what the number is, but almost all pedophile cases are with somebody that the, with the family knows mm-hmm. or a family member. Mm-hmm. Yep. Just, just uh, disgusting. Yes. As I, I don't know, how many times have I said this word? That no, it's gross. This episode, it just, it just is. Yep. But um, that is the story of Jan Broberg and Robert E. Birchtold. Yucky. Yeah. Oh my God. I can't. E- I can't even imagine how horrific it is for her to have to literally deal with that relationship and the love that she felt mm-hmm. every time she's with any man. Mm-hmm. Which, like, understandably, like so, which is horrific reality yeah and her attitude is so inspiring that she she said she lives in the 90 percent mm-hmm. yeah. yeah and she she said like, like the one person she never wants to think about ever again is the one person that she thinks about every single day yeah i mean how, how can you get rid of him you can't you can't i mean he was there for her entire almost her entire life you know, right. until he died, he was a part of her life in some capacity. So, well, even if he wasn't there, that's what I mean. He was always in her head. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely horrible. And also, he used that like alien thing to manipulate more than just Jan. He like that was something that he used on like a couple people. Which wow. I mean, just the the planning alone for that entire thing is so like unbelievable like i can't even begin to imagine having that much evil in your head to be able to plan that out so intricately and to not only you know like manipulate this child and get this child to a place where you know they're alone and they're isolated and you have this entire backstory and you can you convince them that they're part alien but also to get to that child you have an affair with both of that child's parents and you break down their family so like step by step every little thing was to get to jan it is crazy you know i don't know it's amazing to me that they seem to have gotten to like gotten through that together and are still a family yeah i know because i don't know like that would have destroyed any family yeah for sure definitely yeah yeah but i mean jan said that like seeing how torn up her parents were especially her father that they didn't see it was so hard and like you know like we said earlier helping them forgive themselves was how she forgave them because it truly wasn't like they just didn't care about her it was just they didn't they were so manipulated that they didn't see what was going on you know yeah or even if they did like you know bob saw like he knew that it was he was trying to get to jan like yeah like there was only so much that they were able to do i guess i mean obviously they made some gargantuan mistakes i'm not saying they didn't but it's like it's just it's it's so complicated yeah and i'm yeah i'm not not saying that they weren't perfect (laughs) not black and white no definitely not but that that's that yeah i mean how <laughs> we're halfway in and i really thought we had been through the worst of it yeah and well, within the minute mm-hmm. it, <laughs> it had devolved further yes oh yeah that, well that's the point the story is just so I fucked know. 
that it just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. And truly, I very much recommend the Abducted in Plain Sight documentary. It is so good. Yeah. It's really good. And um, they have, like, you know, the voice recordings of the phone calls, and they have that one phone call that Jan made home to her family. Like, that specifically when I listened to that one. Because she's, like, she sounds like a a baby she's a baby and she like calls home and she's like hi guys like miss you and she's like she sounds so cheery and happy and she's like i love you so much like i'll see you soon and it's just so eerie to hear yeah but it's a very good documentary i highly recommend but anyway do you have anything else before we wrap no. it up all right you want to just i'm thinking about what my good thing is yeah i was gonna juxtapose say. with the story yeah let's let's you move go on first. to our good yeah, thing you go first yeah i um my good thing is uh you listening <laughs> you guys the people who listen i i you guys make my make my day all the time and i love reading dms and emails and whatever and you know tiktok comments it's just like i don't know it's so cool and people are so nice and uh yeah i mean that's that's my good thing yeah for sure totally agree and it also brightens my day yeah um so it can be my second good thing sure however sure i must talk about the magnolia bakery (laughs) baked goods that we had this week yes um that is my good thing honestly Um, as they should (laughs) yeah i mean they're so good Mm -hmm. um highly recommend them but yeah it's weird to say that your good thing is food on this episode (laughs) no but the thing is is like you know we talk about these crazy stories but you gotta at the end of the day yeah you got a palate Palate cleanse. cleanse uh yeah highly recommend also it is my birthday next week that's true so that could also be my good thing i took some time off work so mm-hmm. get to relax love that so yep Woo. anyway thank you guys so much for listening i hope you enjoyed this insane story if you would like to keep up with the pictures that we post about each of the cases follow us at, on instagram at not today underscore podcast if you or anyone you know has a story of anything crazy happening to you or you know someone else send us an email at notodaypodcast at gmail.com uh if you'd like to follow us on tiktok that our, our handle is not today podcast. Follow us on Twitter at not today podcast, but the T on the end of podcast is a three. Because that makes sense. Because that makes sense. And just keep breathing. Yeah. Yeah. 